I'm Trudy Morgan Cole, and this is, I guess, the August episode of Shelf Esteem, the podcast where I normally talk to interesting people about the books that they find interesting. And it has been a while. Now, let's go back into the history of the show here for a bit. Back in December, January of this previous year, I said I had made a New Year's resolution for the podcast, that instead of just throwing out occasional episodes whenever it happened to catch my fancy, I was going to stick to a schedule and record a new podcast and post a new podcast once a month. And I stuck to that. I had one in January, I had one in February, and then in March, on literally the last day that we were allowed to have strangers in our homes, I had Leslie Vrienhook and Russell Wengerski in here. Uh, we had a great conversation. I posted that at the end of March. And then in April, I thought, okay, just need to take a bit of a shift of direction. A lot of people who do podcasts have been doing them remotely all along, have been doing them using uh, Zoom or using phone lines or whatever. So it can't be that big a pivot uh, to move to doing an online version of my podcast. And so at the end of April, I think I posted this right at the beginning of May, so it's still pretty much on schedule. Um, I recorded an episode of the podcast with three of my really good friends, uh, Jennifer Morgan, Tina Chalk, and Christine Hennebury, talking specifically about what we've been reading during lockdown. We got together over Zoom to do it. Great conversation. If you didn't hear it, you should check it out, just like all the ones I did earlier this year. But I found I really didn't like doing it over Zoom. There were sound issues with lag and stuff, as there often is with uh, with Zoom, which we tried to clean up as best we could. But also, I just didn't like the energy of the podcast when it wasn't me and one or two or three other people sitting down face-to-face in a room together to talk about books. That's what I've really loved about doing this podcast, is getting together a couple of people, sometimes people I know well, sometimes people I don't know well, sometimes one person I know well, and then another guest that they invite along, that's someone who's new to me. And uh, I just love that energy of sitting down, having a face-to-face conversation here in my little basement studio. And for obvious reasons, that has been impossible uh, since March of 2020. And even with the now you know, lifted and relaxed COVID regulations as I'm recording this in early August of 2020, it's still not recommended that you get two people from outside your own circle of close friends and family sit down in a small, not ventilated room together uh, with the door closed uh, two or three feet apart from each other and have a conversation for an hour. That's still not considered a great idea. And frankly, I don't know when it will be again. So I have to think about what the podcast is going to look like for the rest of this year. There's still people I'd like to invite on an interview. I'm not going to do it remotely via Zoom. If there's a way we can figure out to do it safely with some distancing that doesn't sacrifice the sound quality too much, uh, then we will definitely do that uh, if the people that I want to talk to are comfortable doing it. Uh, But for now, I decided to do a summertime episode uh, just talking to you, first of all, myself about some of my reading experiences over the last few months, and then bringing on my favorite recovery current guest, my daughter, Emma Cole, uh, who is going to uh, talk a little bit about some of what she's been reading as well. So if you listened to that episode that I recorded back at the end of April, uh, early May, you might remember me saying that for the first many weeks of pandemic, quarantine, lockdown, whatever, I was pretty much unable to read anything new. Um, I spent a lot of time rereading old favorites, including the Lord Peter Whimsey mysteries, which are always my go-to comfort reads. And several times I would look at a new book that looked exciting um, and just find it really impossible to even think about picking it up or addressing 
learning something new. And I believe I mentioned in that podcast that the book that broke the cycle for me on that was um, N.K. Jemisin's The City We Became, which is just a marvelous, innovative, fun piece of sci-fi. Really, really great. Um, I've also had, eventually I did get back into being able to read new books, and I have read some good ones. Uh, but I also had some success, some reading success and pleasure, um, with sequels, uh, new volumes of existing series by writers that I had been really looking forward to anyway. Uh, and of course, the first of those was Hilary Mantel's The Mirror and the Light, which was the sequel to Wolf Hall and Bring Up the Bodies, her trilogy about Thomas Cromwell. It was beautiful. It was evocative. Uh, it made me cry, even though I knew Cromwell was going to die at the end of it. Uh, it was just fantastic. And I reread the whole series. In fact, in all these cases, I reread the whole series, uh, which was a wonderful way to reimmerse myself. Another one, and I've talked about this series before, um, is S.A. Chakraborty's Daivabad trilogy, which is my favorite new fantasy of recent years by a huge margin. Uh, she brought out the third volume of that, Empire of Gold, uh, this spring, and it was exactly what I wanted for a conclusion to that series. Every note was perfect. Um, it, it fulfilled a lot of tropes and upset a lot of others, and it was really, really uh, beautiful. And if you want to seek out a fantasy series that is set in a very different world from your sort of stereotypical, vaguely European medieval world, this is a wonderful uh, Middle Eastern-inspired fantasy that I just adore. Um, and finally, there was the second volume of the two-volume duology. What do you call it when it's two instead of three? Anyway, the books by Hank Green, um, his first book, ap An Absolutely Remarkable Thing, I read and enjoyed. And then the new one, A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor, uh, came out and I jumped on that this summer. But I'm going to be talking about that just a little bit later. I also... Um discussed in that last episode of the podcast with my friends uh, reading dystopian fiction and uh, uh, several people have recommended to me as Tina did in that last episode um, Station Eleven which is supposed to be fabulous but can't really read dystopian fiction right now particularly if it has anything to do with plagues however plagues of the past I have no problem with um, and I have been particularly fascinated as you might imagine by the 1918 flu pandemic as a lot of us have been and I just want to recommend a great fiction and non-fiction read about that uh, the non-fiction was Pale Rider by Laura Spinney I listened to it as an audiobook I just found it fascinating it's a really sweeping history of the flu pandemic looking at the science, the history, the sociology, all kinds of aspects, and a very broad worldwide picture of it. So you're not just looking at how it affected, you know, Canada or the U.S. or the U.K., but really looking at it as a, as a global phenomenon. And some really eerie and interesting parallels to our current pandemic situation. A lot of the things we see today, uh, people debating over whether schools should be open or closed, religious groups going ahead and holding services in the name of religious freedom when they're not allowed to assemble, uh, people defying orders to wear masks masks. All of it happened a hundred years ago and it's all happening again now. And then the fiction uh, about the flu pandemic, which many of you will uh, have also heard of and maybe also read, uh, is Irish-Canadian writer Emma Donahue's new novel, The Pull of the Stars, which is set during three days in 1918 in the maternity ward of a Dublin hospital uh, for 
patients who are um, both pregnant and have influenza, so they have to be segregated from the other maternity patients. And the main character is a nurse. The other two main characters are a woman doctor and a young hospital volunteer. It's a story with a very tight and narrow focus around this one place, around these three women in these three days. And I found it absolutely engrossing and a little bit heartrending. So that covers some of what I've been reading. Uh, as always, there's a lot more. And as always, anything we discuss in this episode will be uh, listed on the blog. If you go to TrudyMorganCole.com and click on the Shelf Esteem logo, it'll take you to the blog where I'll list all the books we talked about. But it's time now to bring in my special guest for the episode. So as promised, here is Emma Cole, along with being my daughter. Uh, Emma is uh, just finishing up her second year uh, as an English major and theater production minor at Acadia University in Nova Scotia. Like most university students, her uh, spring semester ended abruptly early when she had to drive home and hang out in the house with her parents for about 10 or 12 weeks with almost no outside interaction. She survived extremely well and continues to do so. And of course, much like me, uh, she survives tough times, partly by reading. So I brought Emma down to talk a little bit about what she's been reading lately. So Emma, it's been a long uh, several weeks of lockdown and semi-lockdown since mm -hmm. you came home from Acadia. Mm -hmm. uh, what have you been reading during that time? Anything good? No. <laughs> End of podcast. Yeah, we're done. <laughs> um, no, I have been reading some very interesting things. I mean, for a while there, I didn't have a lot of books because we, you know... We couldn't go out to the stores. Right. And then I ordered a bunch of books, and they didn't really come until after the restrictions were lifted, and I could just go buy books anyway. Yeah, yeah, we had a real situation. That, well, it didn't affect me because I read mostly e-books, but yeah. you, read, you read paper books, and we ordered a whole bunch of... Um, a they whole were doing, bunch of them. Like, they were doing sidewalk pickup at mm -hmm. Chapters, yeah. but then they didn't come until after the store opened anyway. So... Absolutely pointless. Um, uh, but I still got them. And a lot of those I still haven't read because then I ended up buying more that I wanted to read sooner. Mm -hmm. So really, these books that I've been wanting to read since the beginning of quarantine, it's been months now. It's been so many months. But they're still there waiting They're for still you. there. And they're not going to go bad or no, anything. No. They're not going to expire. That's the great thing about books. They yeah, don't yeah. expire. Mm -hmm. Well, I know uh, one book that we both read, of course, that we've already talked about a little bit off mic, um, <laughs> is uh, A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor by Hank Green. Yes. So mm -hmm. what did you think about that one? I liked it. I enjoyed it. Obviously, Hank Green has a very fun writing style, mm -hmm. very wacky, very out there. Um, and I thought it did a really good job of continuing the narrative with like all these same characters and in the same world, but still coming up with like basically a new conflict and a reason for there to be a sequel without it feeling like I just wanted to write another book. Yeah, you know, it yeah. still felt like it had a purpose as a story, but was a continuation of the of what was set up in the first book. Yeah, and it did it did resolve most of the threads from the first yeah, book. Yeah, yeah. I mean you think there were still a few threads left unanswered. I think there were a few threads left unanswered. I think there's a lot about Carl's hand in the first book that we never get answered in the second book but mm -hmm. i think there's things that he threw in just as fun cool things yeah. in the first book maybe i think maybe some of that stuff like carl's hand is just to get them thinking about how weird carl is because yeah. that lets them see that all the hands disappear on all the carls at once yeah by the way that's a huge a big spoiler. spoiler oh my um, god 
gosh, not for this book, but for uh, for Hank's first book. But if we were already into talking about the sequel and someone was afraid of spoilers for the first one, that's on you. That is on you. That's on you. I highly recommend you read both an absolutely remarkable thing and a beautifully foolish endeavor. Yeah, they're Mm -hmm. great. And one thing I thought was cool with those is. You said he has this light, you know, sort of fun, wacky style of writing, wacky. which he does. Uh, but he's also tackling, I think, some actually really serious oh, topics. Oh, absolutely. You yeah, know, it, yeah. It's sci-fi, but like all the best sci-fi to me, it's building on our fears about what's wrong with our culture now and, and what the worst yeah. case scenario could be. Yeah, and I think it did uh, present some interesting perspectives on that. At times, it did feel a bit like... Here's my solution to yeah. humanity's problems, but I'm going to present it from a godlike creature's perspective. So I'm right, which yeah. was, a, I thought, a little bit, a little bit... Uh, problematic? May, not problematic, but just a little bit like, I know that you're just a guy writing this. Yeah. You know? We know this is just Hank Green. I know this is just you. And and if, if like both of us, you've been following Vlogbrothers for years, you feel like Hank is just a guy you know. Yeah, anyway, yeah. So. and I'm like, who's, what's, who, who, who's he to say anything? Yeah, he's smart, but he doesn't have all the answers. But he does pose some really interesting questions. Questions in these yes, two books, for you know, sure, and particularly for in this sure. one about how much of our lives we're willing to give over to the corporations that control, say, the internet and social media. And yeah, and especially yeah. how much we're willing to let the internet control our lives yes, as well. Yeah. yeah. So that was a good one that we both enjoyed. What are some yeah. of the others that you've been reading? Well, you know, I read A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. You did, which is I a classic did, and a favorite of mine. It took me a long time to yeah, read. because it is a slow-paced it's book. It's a slow-paced yeah. book, but not in a bad way. No. In a very good... I feel like it is the exact antithesis of a beautifully foolish endeavor. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, like, in terms of pacing, anything, it's polar opposites. And I think I read those two books back to back, uh-huh. just about. Um, but, no, I loved it. Whenever I would tell anyone that I was reading this book, they would be like, well, what happens? And I said, nothing. And that's, um, it's great. Yeah. It's great that nothing happens, but also everything happens. Everything Because happens. it's about life, you yes, see? So is. everything happens, and also nothing happens. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's great that way and I think you did get that reaction but I think if you told people of like your mother's age or older particularly women yeah, yeah, yeah. that you were reading a tree grows in book and they would go oh because yes. it's such a cherished book and in fact all the while you were reading it I kept saying there's one part in it that I always cry when I read it and mm-hmm. even when I think about it I was like are you sure that part yet are you yeah, sure yeah. the part that would make your mother cry but, yeah um I oh, know go ahead and I was just going to say, it's just such a beautiful classic novel. You know, it's the story of a young girl growing up in Brooklyn, New York, in a really impoverished family in the early 20th century. And yeah, it's just about life. Yeah, it kind of reminded me a little bit of even weirder than before in that you get the very gradual growth of the main character. Yes. as she It's kind of about the same, like, well, I think she starts a little bit younger in A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, but that kind of growing up slowly in a way that like you almost don't realize it until you're to the very end and you're like oh she's an adult now yes exactly and she was a little child at the beginning yeah yeah that's that uh even weirder than before that's Susie taylor's book yes yeah the pink the pink book yeah i think it's a really good comparison of Mm -hmm. of a contemporary ya novel that does that same thing and uh, to me even though they didn't have the designation YA when when Betty Smith wrote A Tree Grows in Brooklyn it is one of the classic YA yeah. coming of age and novels. I I love that it's kind of about a time frame that's very dominated by like the male perspective you know it's right around the time of everyone going off to war and everyone's you know fathers and sons and whatever dying in battle mm-hmm. and doing whatever they do and you know business and economy in New York changing and the world kind of you know mm-hmm. uh, changing a little bit but it's such a woman's novel it as is, well yeah that's 
I just loved that. I yeah. really liked that. And I found, um, I don't know how specific details we're going to get into oh, on this. Yeah. I just, the, like, how it kept coming up, how, um, uh, Francie's mother, and I think maybe it was like her, even her mother as well, and other women in the book, just uh, having such a disdain for women and not and not wanting to have daughters and not wanting to be friends with women, almost because like they knew how hard a woman's life was and yes. they wouldn't want to wish that upon a daughter, so they like. It basically just resent any daughters that they have. Yeah, just value sons so much yes, more. Yes, it was yeah. very interesting to... Yeah, because Francie's mother, I forget that she really favors the like, brother. Yeah, like, and Neely? it's almost... Yeah, yeah. Neil, it's, it's almost like a conscious decision when, like, I, I guess Francie, like, is very fussy as a baby or whatever, and it's very hard to deal with. And then when she has her son, she's like, oh, I'm done with Francie. I'm gonna <laughs> raise her, but I'm not gonna love her like I'll love Neely. Yeah. And then you see, kind of, from Francie's perspective, her trying to gain that adoration from her mother and then eventually growing up and realizing that she's just never going to get that yeah. and kind of having to make peace with that fact which was just like so many things in this novel heartbreaking but yeah. also just like so nice to read in yes. a weird way yeah. yeah yeah because you really immerse yourself in that world and yeah. these women and and how how tough their lives oh are oh my gosh yeah. yeah but there is especially as like a, a contemporary reader of this age there's something so appealing about reading fiction from back in the day and i i keep trying to put my finger on it but it's the same vibe that i get from reading like Catherine mansfield's mm -hmm. short stories which are just like i woke up at this hour and then i took the one penny that i own and i went down to the store <laughs> that sells this kind of meat and i like i don't know what it is but it's just something about the deliberateness of all the small decisions that just made up people's day. It's like the John Mulaney bit. We got to think of some long, slow activities to fill the day because <laughs> it's the olden times. <laughs> you know, let's yeah. go wave at a boat. Yeah. <laughs> it's that vibe. Yeah, I think I, I can kind of see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And it's, it's such a distant world to us now. I mean, that book is now... At least the time, I can't remember what year it was written, but certainly the time period it said it is more than 100 years ago. Now. Yeah. Like, it mm -hmm. ends, I think, in 1918 or 1919. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, it's such a different life. Yeah, and even, like, that is such a different life, but then even you see from the beginning of the novel to, like, when Francie's an adult, like, even that changes so yes, much. Yes, yeah, because that, that wartime was such an era yeah. of change for America. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a beautiful novel. I love it so much, and it probably... It probably began my love affair with Brooklyn, too, that mm -hmm. and the fact that my mother was born in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a really special book for me. I'm so glad you liked it. I loved it so much. Uh, it's, it's so great. good. I'm sure I'll be rereading it at yeah, some point. It's, it's a real read. I was surprised when you it, it picked it up that we didn't already have a copy in the house. Yeah. I've read it many times, but I guess I must have read borrowed or library copies or a copy that I've now lost. So now mm -hmm. i gotta get I got to get it for myself again. Mm -hmm. So what else? What else um, well, the next thing on my list was Catherine Mansfield, which I was okay. able to segue into quite nicely. I've read a couple of her short stories for school, and they're mm -hmm. some of the ones that have really stood out to me. Again, it just has that vibe of like, I think it's set in New Zealand, and I want to say like the 20s or 30s is usually when she's writing it. I think she's a New Zealand author, so that's why I assume her stuff is set in New Zealand. Um, but yeah, and it's just that idea of like, a picturesque kind of slice of life. But then it also, like, you know, all our different stories have different morals, themes, and all that stuff. But it's just something about reading how people from back then kind of went about their days and their problems and stuff. Yeah. And it's just so quaint, but also relatable in, like, a broad sense. And it's, and obviously, like, her descriptive prose is just amazing. I love it. I haven't read through all of 
the stories that are in the collection that I bought, but I've read a few of them and they're very, very good. That's great. Mm-hmm. Have you it's, read any of her short I, Only in school. I don't okay. think I've ever sat down and read a Catherine Mansfield story for my own pleasure. Mm-hmm. But that's probably more to do with me and short stories, with it being a form that I really struggle with. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Okay. I have talked about okay. at length on this. this not fine. your okay. short stories. No, your short fine. It's okay. Right. Whatever. <laughs> All right. I get it. You don't like me. You don't like my short stories. <laughs> But it is like every time I read a short story I really love, my immediate reaction is, why didn't they just write a novel about but this? But no, then it would I know ruin. it's different. I know it's, it's different. It's a whole different thing, and you can accomplish not better, not worse. You can accomplish different things with a short story than you could with a novel. I have had many, many short story writers and lovers of short stories explain this to me, and I do get it on some level, but I'm just very wired for novels. Okay. But I love that you love Catherine Mansfield, and I want to give those stories a try. Mm-hmm. I do. What else? Anything else? Okay, so I had um, on my list The Hand on the Wall by Maureen Johnson, which oh, I remember yeah. last time I was on the podcast, I was excited about coming yes, out we were talking because about I, could, coming I said out. it was something about a clock and the cover was green. <laughs> because apparently as an English major, I can only picture things in vague shapes and colors. <laughs> I can't hold titles in my... Like, as a, as a university student, shapes and colors is really all I've got nailed down. <laughs> um, yeah, so that came out, and I read... well. I was a little bit upset because I ordered it from the local bookstore chain mm-hmm. and it didn't get there until a week after the release. And I was I was just a mess that whole week. See, this is where I got to make a stroke for ebooks over paper books because the ebook is never late. It always drops. It arrives precisely device. when it intends to. Yes. <laughs> like the wizard, it arrives precisely when it intends to. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, because it was I was just seething at the fact that this book was out there and I wasn't reading it. And yeah. then I think I read it like in a day or two, even though it's like a fair sized novel. But it was um, and I found this impressive in the same way I found the end of A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor impressive was that it pulled together a lot of things. That this was the end of a, what, a trilogy, of, a trilogy yeah. of mystery, oh, wow. like a mystery novel. It was all about various murders and kidnappings, the mm-hmm. fun stuff. And I was... I think we talked about on the podcast how um, uh, it's difficult to leave enough breadcrumbs that when the like the kind of end twist is revealed, you go, oh, it was that all along and not like, oh, I that doesn't make any sense or no, that was too obvious. Again, I'm not good at predicting the ends of things, (laughs) even as like a writer. I am so blind to like where plots are going. Any kind of twist is such a shock to me. (laughs) I'm never expecting anything. That's a wonderfully fresh way to approach books. And I don't know how I've gotten this far, like, reading as much fiction and writing as much fiction as I do, and I still can't ever see anything coming, and I'm so shocked when people can. So maybe I'm just a very naive audience, but I didn't see the twist coming. Oh, that's good. Kind of as it got into the couple, like, last chapters leading up to the big reveal, and they kind of started pulling some threads together, and, like, kind of the ramp-up. I was there with you for the Mm ramp-up. Is Once she started really unraveling everything and getting into like who the murderer who the the villain was Mm -hmm. uh because that was the whole thing we knew someone was behind it but who of this cast of characters was it pretty much um and kind of in the last couple chapters i caught on i was like okay now i'm gonna be with you for the big reveal I'm, Mm -hmm. i'm on board um but yeah before then the first 2.75 2.75 novels i had no idea <laughs> i was just along for the ride That's and i enjoyed great. it yeah 
Mm-hmm. And it's uh, and there's another book coming out of the same series. Okay, so is, is this not the conclusion, or is this like a spin-off? No, I, th- I think it's a spin-off. It's okay. the same. Ca- it's purple. Okay, it's <laughs> purple, <laughs> and it's the same character, but instead it's of rectangular, I bet. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but instead of being at school and there's a mystery, she's at summer camp and there's a oh, mystery. Okay. So you know, uh, I'm just really excited that we're going to see more from this character and. Honestly, anything Maureen Johns, I would read her grocery lists. Like, I'm just so invested in everything she that's writes. That's great. Mm-hmm. It's lovely when there's a, a writer that you can trust that way, and that's the way I felt with some of the ones I've read recently, that, like, I don't need to worry or stress. I know this is going to be good. I know I'm into whatever this writer yeah. does. That's like when we were at Chapters the other day, and I saw that there was a new E. Lockhart book. I didn't even read anything. I was, yes, I'm getting that, <laughs> obviously. If E. Lockhart wrote it, I'm going to read it. No, you haven't read that one yet. No, right? that's on my to-read list. Okay. Mm-hmm. Any others that have on your have read list that you wanted to talk about yeah i had uh the one not so pure and simple by lamar giles or giles i didn't look up how to say his last name okay and this is one of the books i've actually been um adding uh new books by bipoc writers basically to my reading list for my english courses Mm -hmm. for independent novels and this is one that you recommended to me i haven't read it yet but tell us a bit about it um so basically uh i read this in february Mm -hmm. so details are going to be a bit sketchy okay fair enough but it follows a high school student a black high school student in I want to say it's like Georgia. <laughs> and if it's not Georgia, the state, it's a state that's like a Georgia. A state that's very like Georgia. A state that is akin to Georgia. Okay. A southern U.S. state. A maybe. southern U.S. state. And, um, yeah, it's basically about being a high school student of that age. And it's also about, um, you know, your experiences as a young black male in America. And then also about organized religion Mm -hmm. and the christian church and it's uh it uh revolves around the idea of like um like there's a a like chastity club basically at the church that he gets accidentally roped into joining because a girl that he thinks is really hot joined the club so it's like this whole purity pledge purity pledge purity pledge but not chastity club purity pledge I mean, it could be called the chastity. It might be again. A few months ago that I read it, it could be. But what um, struck me about it, not um, besides the fact that it had a lot of really good messages, and I thought was very relevant and very applicable to a lot of young people, um, was how funny it was. Yeah. Because I think it's very hard to do humor in books. Mm-hmm. And you don't get, a, especially in YA, I feel like, because I don't know that much about general fiction and other things, it's hard to get books that are just funny, that are just like comedy books, you mm-hmm. know? Like, you can get TV shows that are comedies and movies that are comedies. Where are the comedy books? Where are they? Mom, Unless where are they? just books by comedians saying funny things. Yes. You mean like novels yes. that are just genuinely funny. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can have characters that are funny, but this, and like lines that are funny or mm-hmm. jokes, but this felt, I, I genuinely laughed and get this out loud. At, you lolled. I lolled you at lulled. this book. Oh, now I really want to read it because mm-hmm. I too would like to loll at a book. Yeah. It was, uh, it was very enjoyable. It was a very fun read. That's mm-hmm. great. Well, I have been taking up a bunch of your recommendations for this attempt to expand and diversify my classroom shelves. I'm doing, of course, a book that we both loved. Um, 
the hate, the hate you, you give. Mm-hmm. And uh, also Eden Robinson's uh, Son of a Trickster. Yes. You have really read both that and the next one. And yes, them, yes, right? yes. Yeah. And I saw the trailer for the miniseries yes, the we're other day. Yes, we the miniseries together yes. this fall, yeah. Oh, is it this fall? Is that yeah, it's coming out wow. in the fall. Mm-hmm. So it'll be out while you're still home. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. it looks looks really promising. I yeah. think it's going to be really well done, at least from the trailer. But of course, you can't. it's easy to make things look good in a trailer. Is it going to be consistently yeah. good? Mm-hmm. What else? Anything else on your book list that you wanted to talk about? Or have we hit them all? That was all the ones I wrote down. Okay. That's not to say that's all the books I read. And it's maybe not even all the books I want to talk about. But it's all the ones that I wrote down. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is okay. And I was going to say, what are you looking forward to reading? But you already mentioned the E. Lockhart book. The E. Lockhart book, yes. Um, I'm trying to think. There were a few other, um, a uh, few other like YA books that I picked up that I don't even remember the title of because again, I bought them back in like March mm. and then have not read them yet. On a mad spree when the bookstore. Opened yeah, yeah, yeah. No, those were the ones that I ordered. Oh, remember, ordered. so yes, I ordered yeah. and forgot about them, and then got them and forgot about them. Um, I guess, uh, I feel like there was some, oh, the new Truly Devious one by Maureen Johnson, whenever, right. the, I have no idea when that one's coming out, but whenever it is, I'm going to get it You're and I'm going to read there. it. Yeah. And of course, I gave you a book recommendation, which you haven't had a chance to read yet, but Bridget Canning, Some People's yes, Children. Yes, that's on my list. That is a book uh, that just as one of my reads for this uh, this summer, I would say is one of my favorites and is another one of these really fantastic coming of age books mm-hmm. uh, that just takes a character from, I think in that case, it's from about 14 to about 20 okay. from small town Newfoundland to going to Munn, uh, and the time period is in the early big 90s. big town Newfoundland. Yeah, big, small town Newfoundland. To big, big town, town Newfoundland. Newfoundland. Uh, and I think you would really enjoy that one, and I think readers would, re- listeners would really enjoy that one. Yeah. Readers, mm-hmm. obviously anybody who would enjoy a book would be readers. Would be a reader, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. But the specific subset Or a listener, readers, you can listen to audiobooks, I think. That's true, you can, and I have actually been listening to some good audiobooks, too. Oh, wow. I listen to all my nonfiction on audiobooks. Oh, yeah? Because it's so boring, you can't do it otherwise? <laughs> no, it just, it just fits my brain better that way like I wouldn't be able to listen to a novel because sometimes when I'm listening to something on audio I get briefly momentarily distracted by the thing I'm doing which is usually driving the car walking the dog or doing something in the kitchen or all three or usually not all three um and if I get distracted in a novel and I miss a paragraph or two, then I've missed like an important plot yeah. point. But if I get distracted in a nonfiction book, I can usually pick up the threads of it pretty quickly. That's, yeah, that's fair. I see that. Yeah. I see that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Shelf Esteem. Uh, and it is great to have an in-house book expert to talk to at a time when it is hard to get out of the house book mm-hmm. experts in here. <laughs> oh, I see. That's all I am. I was just, I was around. <laughs> I'll settle for you, I suppose. You are around, and you are also one of my favorite people to talk books with. Thank you so much, Emma. Thank you. Well, that wraps up my conversation with the lovely and talented Emma Cole, and that wraps up what I guess we'll call the summer edition of the podcast, uh, this in-house special uh, during the uh, tail end of the COVID-19 summer of 2020. As always, if you want to look at the books that Emma and I discussed, I'll be posting a list of them on the blog. And as I said a little earlier, you just go to my website, trittymorgancole.com, click the link that says Shelf Esteem, and you'll see all those books listed there. 
And as I also said a little earlier at the beginning of the podcast, I'm not really sure what the future of the podcast for the next couple of months will be. I have some more guests I'd like to uh, have on the podcast if we can work out a mutually agreeable and safe way to do it. I think it's safe to say that as a teacher going back to full-time teaching in September, whatever happens, I probably won't be releasing a September podcast. But hold on tight for one in October under whatever conditions we're able to do it. And until then, as always, no matter what's going on in your house or in your work or in the world around you, you can always read a good book and build your shelf esteem.